Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome back into another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me as always, very excited to see him today because... We have an exciting basketball game to talk about. Finally, is Colin Taylor from GamecockCentral.com. You and I made the joke just last week that Carolina played yet another boring basketball game, which they've done many times this year. And this one was not. This one was the exact opposite. They won 63-61. They beat Tennessee. And these games with Carolina and Tennessee just are very exciting. And for the first time probably ever, unofficial stat, Carolina has defeated Rick Barnes and Tennessee and they did it in spectacular and exciting and just heart-pounding fashion. Yeah, the first time since the Final Four year, uh, as fact. So I think it's good to get the Rick Barnes monkey off your back. And mm-hmm. this is starting to look, statistically speaking, kind of like that Final Four team. So we'll see how it goes from there. A lot of the numbers, you mentioned some of the defensive ones. Carolina getting back to where they were after a little bit of a slip defensively. and. Yeah. Another good performance against Tennessee. Obviously, you hold them only to 61. You get a win at home. You jump up a couple spots in the net. We're going to talk about the net a little bit later in the podcast because I have a a whole separate gripe, a whole separate bone to pick with you about the net that I think you'll also be on board with. But I'm so glad that like South Carolina fans and South South Carolina media have like all risen up now. I'm glad that I was on the forefront of just absolutely hating this metric. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a, a pioneer in that respect. Was it you that got? Frank riled up about it yesterday at his media availability. No, Monday? he just started with that. He okay. literally walked in, sat down, and started wow. complaining about the net. I asked him the question Saturday after the game about all that, mm-hmm. but no. Oh, man. Well, we can talk about that in a little bit, too, just in terms of the implications of this game for South Carolina when we talk about the net. But first things first, 63-61, to 61, back and forth. Basketball is a, is a game of runs, as they say. Ugh. And college basketball, especially, is a game of runs. And this game was not that at all. Tennessee had like an 11-0 run right after South Carolina had, I think, a 7-0 run or a 7-2 run towards the beginning of the second half. But by and large, this game was trading shots back and forth for 40 minutes. And even though it was 63-61, kind of low scoring, not like a super efficient game for either team, I thought it was a really well-played basketball game for the most part. Yeah, and I wish that they didn't call as many fouls as they did. I would love to have them have some pace of play. But yeah, this was... These were two teams with two very similar styles. Rick Barnes and Frank Martin go way back to days in the Big 12 together. So they know each other really well. They play very similar styles of basketball, and it's fun to watch. And these two teams, Tennessee could be, you know, 20 points better than South Carolina in in a given year, and South Carolina could be 20 points better than Tennessee. But when they 
come together. It's usually like a five, six point game for the most part. So this was fun. This was by far, I think, the f- most fun South Carolina basketball game outside of the Kentucky one in SEC play, especially at home. Um, so this was, will it go down as the best win of the season? No, but this was probably your most important. Uh, every game is your most important game now but this is your most important game it was a game you had to win because obviously Tennessee won in Knoxville and there were a lot of symmetries to this game obviously not the least of which is that Fulkerson who drew the charge on AJ Lawson to essentially end the game in Knoxville committed a charge in this game and Tennessee still had another chance after that but there was some because that was 10 seconds left and then they were at the free throw line with three seconds left or two seconds left or whatever it was so it didn't completely end the game but it was just funny to kind of see it transpire like that. A lot of drama built into the game, a lot of drama built into the series. And for Carolina, when you look at the back half of the schedule, two games at Mississippi State are tough, LSU's tough, at Alabama's tough. Even Vanderbilt's playing better right now. This is a game that you had to win to get the tiebreaker with Tennessee, just to get the numbers. And because it's one of the two most winnable games left on your schedule, or was, uh, it was that in Vanderbilt, right? Is there another one that I'm missing? Because it's Mississippi State, Mississippi State, LSU, and Georgia. Alabama. And, uh, yeah, in Georgia. I guess Georgia's yeah. more winnable. Than that, but one of the three most winnable games remaining in your last seven, and it looked like they were going to lose it there at the end. Yeah, but they hung tough. They didn't play particularly well, um, and Frank's even said that they didn't play particularly well. But good teams, and I think I wrote it too. Good teams usually find a way to win those ugly games. South Carolina found ways to win those ugly games when they were good. You know. Winning 20-plus games a year for Frank, under Frank Martin for two years. They found ways to just muck it up and win, and South Carolina did that against Tennessee this time around. And that's the mark of a good team is even when you don't prepare properly, which is what Frank Martin said they didn't do, and when you don't play particularly well compared to what you were playing the previous three or four games and, and still find a way to win, that's huge for South Carolina. It was impressive. Timely baskets, timely stops. Again, the back-and-forth nature of the game made it entertaining and made me feel like it was a very well-played basketball game. And the other thing is, it felt like for both teams, everything in this game was earned. There weren't a lot of easy opportunities, a lot of you know contested shots. And for Carolina especially, we'll dig into the numbers here in just a second, but it was a lot of just guys having to make plays for South Carolina. There wasn't a lot that necessarily was generated organically it was a really just grinded out kind of game and down the stretch the difference was Carolina had the guys that could make those shots in a timely fashion let's start with AJ Lawson uh when you click on ESPN it says you know Coatsar and Gamecocks win a thriller against Tennessee or whatever because you always have to include a player and then the team because that's I guess how headline writing works but for me this felt like this was a fascinating AJ Lawson game it wasn't his best game by any stretch he didn't play or he didn't shoot very efficiently just three of eight one of four from three missed half of his free throws two of four didn't have any assist turned the ball over a couple times the first time in what three weeks that he's had more than one turnover in a game but I thought he played really solid defense and he scored six of his nine points in the last seven minutes of the game including a huge three down the stretch this is why when he got benched in the second half against Stetson my take was He's your best player or your biggest upside player. You got to leave him in the game because even if he's not playing well, he can hit a shot when you need him to. His shot wasn't falling. He wasn't playing particularly well offensively. He had a couple of bad turnovers, but he still was able to come up big for Carolina when it counted. And of course, you know, not to discount Mike Coates are hitting those four 
ice in the veins free throws down the stretch. But it was really cool to see AJ, who had been pulled in that moment, who had shrunk in that moment before, come through and excel. Yeah, and that's the old saying, and as much as I hate it because it's so cliche, big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. Mm-hmm. Like I hate that saying, but it's, it's, it's true. When you needed your NBA prospect and AJ Lawson to go out there and hit a big three, he does that. Just absolutely drills it for, on a dime from, from Trey Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And gives you the lead. Changes the entire complexion of the final 90 seconds of that basketball game. Because he hit that three. So that's a huge play for him. Then Keyshawn Bryant, who did not have a good game leading up to it, had a really bad turnover, draws a charge. My coats are who went 5 for 26 from the start of February to the end of last season. 5 of 26 from the free throw line. Steps up and drills for, I mean, just foom, 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 like just done. Didn't even think about it. No, that and and that's what you need. Those are the three guys outside of probably Jermaine Kusnard that you're going to need to carry you if you want to make the tournament. If you want to be playing in March, deep into March, that's what you need. You need those three guys to do that. And for AJ, who didn't have the greatest game in the world offensively, to come out and drill that shot when his team needed it the most, huge. Keyshawn drawing the charge, huge. Uh, Kusnard breaking a press to get Mike the ball to force two – Free throws, huge. I mean, all of it just compounded over the last 90 seconds, and you had the guys that you recruited to go there and make big plays come out and make big plays. So there were, what, three turnovers in the last, like, minute of the game? Tennessee threw the pass away that Bryant picked off, and then and he, he, tur- subsequently he turned, turned it over. over. Yeah, they gave that to him, not Hannibal, right? I think so. Or, or, or Kusnard, because he kind of, like, dropped it off to him. Yeah, yeah it was Kusnard, and then Kusnard kind of dropped it, and then there was that turnover, and then I feel like there was another one on the other end when Tennessee got the ball back. Point is, it was one of those, and it was a frantic ending, obviously. You could tell how much emotion. I mean, it was fever pitch, and by all accounts, the Colonial Life Arena was bumping. I wasn't there. Yeah. I'm really disappointed. I have We have our, my friends from college and I, you know, we all live in a million places now because that's how that works. So we try to get together at least once a year, and we try to do it on a long weekend, so President's Day or Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, so we have an extra Monday. So it was this weekend, so I did not get to go, and it sounds like I missed the absolute worst game to not go to the CLA for a game, maybe even more than Kentucky in terms of the excitement in the room. Yeah, I mean, I think people are starting to figure out what this team is and what it can be, and people are going to come. If they beat be Mississippi State Wednesday, can you imagine Woo. LSU, a top, I don't know if they're top 25, I haven't looked at the AP poll this week, but an LSU team that is definitely top 30 second. Team. Tied for second in the SEC. We haven't explored this topic, and I'll be interested to do it. F- Florida plays Arkansas on Wednesday, on tonight, Tuesday. Tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kentucky plays LSU tonight. Plays At LSU. Nine. This tonight. is Tuesday, by the way. This is Tuesday. LSU on Tuesday. So all this will be moot once we're talking about it. <laughs> Let's say Kentucky loses, so they're ten and three. LSU beats them. They're ten and three. Kentucky's ten and three. South Carolina, if they win these next two games, they <laughs> they will be like tied for first place in the SEC with four games to play. But they're not on the bubble. They're not even searching I, for the bubble. Yeah, they're they're not even in the discussion. They don't even have work left to do. But they might be tied for first in the SEC on Sunday, February the whatever the Sunday is. Yeah. It, it was weird last year. I understand why. They didn't get in. Completely understand it. 
because they went 16 and 16. And despite going 11 and 7 in conference play, 16 and 16 don't get you in. But of like the Power Five conferences, there was only one other fourth fourth place team to not get into the tournament. And it was the Pac 12. And the Pac 12 was absolute garbage last year. So I think the Pac 12 was like a two bid league. So it's. It's not unprecedented, but you know, if you're a top four team in your conference, especially a Power Five, big, big major conference, you're probably getting into the tournament. So, if South Carolina finishes fourth with some good wins and gets a win in the SEC tournament, they could finish fourth at four and two, depending on how things like four, yeah, four and two in these last six, depending on who you beat. Yeah. Right. So, eight and four, sixteen and nine overall, um, and look every every game is the biggest game now for Carolina. Yeah. There's there's and it's easy to have that mentality because you go to Mississippi State and then you have LSU and then um eh, you can probably sleepwalk through that Georgia game a little. I mean you can't, but like that would be the one game because then you're playing Mississippi State again and then you have Vanderbilt. And that Georgia at game, Alabama and then Vanderbilt. Yeah. And that Georgia game's we're at, at Alabama home for Mississippi State Vanderbilt. Okay. That right. Georgia game I hate using trap game, but like you could be coming off, you know, a week where you got one huge win and a loss that's not going to really be terrible, and then you got to come home. You're riding this kind of emotional high, especially if they beat LSU. Mm-hmm. You're riding this emotional high, and then you got to play a Georgia team that, while talented, isn't great. That's and then go on the road and play a quad one team in Alabama. So like that's the one where you're like you got to really focus because if you don't, that Georgia team can make you slip up. Yeah, that one sticks out. Carolina just did such a thorough job of dispatching them last week that you probably feel pretty good about that. But, you know, point is... Georgia has the tendency, though. They could go off if they want to go off. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, if if Anthony Edwards doesn't shoot four of 13... Yeah, it's completely different If he scores before, like, the six-minute mark and hits a field goal before the 253 mark, it it changes the complexion of the game. Uh, That definitely feels like more of a trap game than this Tennessee game. But this was one that, you know, for the reasons that we mentioned, for the tiebreakers and things like that, because... Yes, we can sit here and say Carolina could be finished. They could be tied for first. They could easily grab a top four seed. They could also very easily be in a position where they're a six seed and they need a tiebreaker with Tennessee, which I guess they, I mean, they split now, so they're not losing the tiebreaker with Tennessee. Although, on the season, Carolina plus one against Tennessee. There you go. Lose a one point game, win yeah. a two point game. And I think the way the seeding works, if you're tied and you split the head to head, it's based off of your record against the top seed in the tournament. And oh since, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. South Carolina beat Kentucky, who's currently leading the SEC. You know, there you go. They would break that tiebreaker if I'm not mistaken. This was a good game because Carolina won it close because they needed this win, and for not the first time this season, they won a game. As you mentioned, Frank Martin said, not playing particularly well. Yeah. It wasn't a very efficient game. You know, Tennessee's tough defensively. I think Tennessee's a, a good team. Everything was contested. Carolina shoots 20 of 50, 4 of 13 from 3, 19 of 32 from the free throw line. Uh, what is kind of funny is actually how similar these performances were. Carolina yep. 20 of 50 from the field, Tennessee 20 of 47. So a difference of two percentage points, but just three more shots for Carolina. 4 of 13 from 3 was Carolina, 4 of 14 was Tennessee. 19 of 32 from the free throw line, 17 of 28 from the free throw line for Tennessee. Carolina out-rebounded them by 2 steals 8 to 5, blocks 6 to 5. Uh, Tennessee did have more turnovers, 20 to 14, so that's a significant margin. And the number that really stood out to me, if you look at Carolina's performance and say, 
They won this game. Not that they didn't have any business winning it because they, you know, it was an evenly matched game. They just made one more play than Tennessee. But six assists for the entire game. Six assists on 20 made shots. That number's been a lot better for Carolina. I think they're averaging about 14 assists a game. I think they're leading the SEC in assists. Yeah, I was going to say, last time I looked, which was a couple weeks ago, they were like top 60 in the country or top 70 in the country, something like that. The the numbers have been very good for them. So that's a a really good illustration, I feel like, of did not play the game that they wanted to play. Not super efficient. The half court wasn't humming like it normally is. Uh, You know, Jermaine Cousinard only took six shots, made two of them. Uh, it, was, it was just a weird game, especially in terms of, of uh, shot distribution and things like that. And Carolina was still able to win it. And you felt like when Justin and I went down that they wouldn't have the margins to have these kinds of games, these kinds of inefficient games where you're not moving the ball, where you're fouling too much, where you're not shooting free throws well. And not to get too wistful here, but can you imagine like what this team would look like if Manai were still healthy and still in the lineup because they have absorbed his absence so well and are still playing well enough they don't even have to play great, and they can win a close game against a pretty good Tennessee team like this. Yeah, I think that if South Carolina makes the tournament um, and Manaya doesn't play, then the revisionist history is going to be so much fun to do. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the scenario thing, well, like, you know, how far would they have gone if if Manaya, you know, if Manaya had, you know, been able to play. So right. he's such a good player. But the fact that South Carolina, this just shows the connectivity that they have and just the overall talent on this team where you can absorb a loss like that. And are they as good without Justin Minaya? No. Justin Minaya would make them a better team. But the difference right now is marginal. and That's a testament to Frank Martin, his ability to coach, and that's a testament to how good depth-wise this team is to be able to absorb that. And you looked at, I mean, Jalen McCree didn't play the entire second half against Tennessee, and they were still able to, I think they outscored them in the second half. Yes, 33-32. Yeah, they still outscored them. They scored 33 points in the second half without a guy that went four for five with eight points. They're able to kind of figure out ways to absorb a lot of that because they have so many options. Here's what their starters did on Saturday. Actually, I'll say minus Mike Coates are. Alonzo Frank, five minutes, 0 of 1 from the floor. 0 of 2 from the free throw line, 0 points. Keyshawn Bryant, 19 minutes, 1 of 4 from the field, 2 points. A.J. Lawson, 33 minutes, 3 of 8 from the field, 9 points. Jermaine Cousinard, 2 of 6, 31 minutes, 12 points. That's your that's your starting five. That's not normally enough to win you a conference basketball game. Now, Kotsar, he had a good game, not particularly efficient, still shot just 3 of 9, but hit 7 of 8 free throws like we mentioned earlier, 13 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal, a block. Good defense as always. Although, Fulkerson did have another... It was funny. We sat... I guess when we recorded on Thursday, I was like, okay, you know, what's going to be different? What's going to be the same from the last Tennessee game to this one? You know, probably not going to count on Fulkerson going for 17-11 and or whatever he did when they were up in Knoxville. And I was exactly right, but kind of in the wrong direction. Yeah, the wrong way. 25-9 and for Fulkerson. Just enjoys playing against Carolina, I guess. Yeah, and I think to the bigger point, I remember because I got there a little late and so I didn't get the feel for the full game coming over from baseball. I'm looking at this box score at the end of the game, and I was like, well, Mike had, like, Mike had to had 25 points. Mm-hmm. And I looked down, and it was 13. I'm like, okay, well, AJ had to have a bunch of points. Nine. Kusnart? Like, I went down the Where list. Where are the points coming yeah, from? Yeah, <laughs> no, and, like, I went down the list, and I was like, who had a good game? Like, 
Jermaine didn't shoot the ball well. Mike didn't shoot the ball well. AJ didn't shoot the ball well. And then I'm looking down, I'm like, okay, well, you got 13 for Mike. And then you get 12 from Jermaine, which is kind of penciled in. That's his floor, probably. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you got eight from Jair Bolden. You got eight from Trey Hannibal. You got eight from Jalen McCreary. You got three from Williams. Like, you find different ways to piece together because of the depth on your team, different ways to piece together good. Mm-hmm. And that's that's huge for South Carolina. They can they can absorb a little bit of this. This is we definitely jinxed them because we sat here last week and said, Well, you can definitely count on thirty five points a game from your backcourt. You, you know, it felt like Carolina had solidified where they were where their scoring was coming from. You kind of knew where it was coming from. You knew yeah. you were gonna get, you know, sixteen to eighteen from Jermaine. You knew you were gonna get fifteen to seventeen from you know, AJ and, you know, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And it was just absolutely none of that. And they were still able to do it. And again, kind of, well, not really for different reasons, but the depth continues to be the story. And I I wasn't sure. I was skeptical how much that was still going to play a part in these games after Mania went down because, you know, it's just, that's one more guy. But Nathan Nelson, who didn't record a statistic, clubbed nine trillion, went out there and, you know, did what he was supposed to do, played credible defense and, move the ball on offense, that's your 10th guy. That's your 10th or 11th guy coming up. Carolina played 11 guys on Saturday, so that's your that's your 11th guy. TJ Moss and Alonzo Frank both played fewer minutes than Nathan Nelson, but that is that is the you know credit to Frank Martin, and that's what we thought this team could be, and we're already kind of having to do this revisionist history thing where it's like, oh, man, like they're winning games like this with Nathan with Nathan Nelson almost playing 10 minutes, he wasn't someone that was supposed to factor in to the rotation during league play and I don't want to say he didn't contribute, but again, didn't put up any stats. Like where would the ceiling of this team has been? And I guess as a quick aside because you mentioned this, Justin Manaya, you know, maybe playing in the tournament, maybe not. There is a chance. I don't remember if you were I think you reported this. Yeah. That Justin Manaya could be back maybe even for the SEC tournament. First week of March, he'll get his cast off, and then they'll kind of figure things out from there. They'll evaluate the ligament damage and then determine if they can just cast the thumb and kind of support that while allowing him to still have kind of wrist mobility, and they'll see where they can go from there. That'll be huge. If they can get him back for the tournament with fresh legs. <laughs> All bets are off. Huge. All Absolutely huge. And the great thing is it's a it's a thumb injury. Yeah. So he you can don't still need a run. To play defense. He yeah. can still run. Like I, I don't. I'm, I'm, he goes to practice. I'm sure he's not doing anything. But you know, he can hop on the treadmill. He can hop on the elliptical. He can. He can elevate his heart rate. And you're not going to like lose all of your fitness in six weeks or however long it is going to have been by the time he gets his cast off and reevaluated yeah. or whatever. But it's different than the Keyshawn Bryant injury where he was on crutches for a couple weeks. Right. Because then you got to get your legs back. You got to get your wind back. Yeah. Dustin's just got to get used to. And it wasn't like AJ Lawson either. Because remember, AJ hurt his oh, ankle right, right, right. at the end of last season. The Alabama game. Yeah. Weirdly, you know, I'm not going to say it. Because I was going to say it happened around the same time last year. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, was that, the, was that the penultimate game last year, too? I think it was. Because they had, they had they finished last year, I think, with Alabama and then Missouri? No. So it happened earlier. Cause, so it happened. Yeah, I'm looking at the right schedule. It happened with. The Alabama was the fifth to last game, so they had to. Oh, go, really? There were that many after? Yeah, so they had to go to Missouri, um, which they lost, but then they beat Texas A&M and they beat Georgia with Adam, uh, and then, um, lost to Auburn, 
when he tried to came, come back and he just didn't yeah, look like that's himself. Right, that's and, right. Okay. Um, I had condensed the end of the season into like one memory. Yeah. No. That the end of the season was so compressed. It felt like so. Uh, yeah. If they can get him back, it'd be huge because it's just you can just plug him in, and even if he's not playing the thirty-five minutes or whatever he was, thirty-two minutes, whatever he was in SEC play before he got hurt, you play him for twenty. Tell him you're not going to really run anything for him if you, you have a shot shoot. Or you're just going to be there to play good defense. That's a boost. He could very comfortably you. gobble up those five minutes that Frank Moss and Nelson got on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what do you think Nathan Nelson's plus minus was? I bet he was. I'm trying to remember because he was he just played in the second half. If I remember correctly. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Plus three. Close. Very plus four. Plus four. I feel like I remember him being in when Carolina went on that. Seven over a little spurt, yeah, yeah, and then I guess I guess they took him out of the game before <laughs> they could respond with that eleven a run, which yep. they did. That's uh, a uh, good job. Yeah, so he he played good minutes. Club nine trillion, zero for zero, zero for zero, zero for zero, zero offensive rebounds, zero defensive rebounds, zero rebounds, zero assists, steals, blocks, turnovers, fouls, points. Nine minutes. Empty empty stat line, but plus three. Frank Martin doesn't like box minus though. What do you think he said to Nathan after the game? That will require me to do my Frank Martin impression, and I'm not going to do that. Enthusiasm. Yeah. Enthusiasm. You know, Nathan. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Who else? Uh, Okay, we didn't... uh, One more thing on Mike, because I mentioned that 11-0 run, and you mentioned looking down at the box score at the end of the game and being like, well, did AJ have a good game? Did Mike have a good game? I was like, no, no. But I kind of felt... this. I I had the benefit of watching the game after the fact, so I had had the box score. I kind of knew it was happening, but even still, it's like... Was it really just thirteen points? Because it the the timeliness of those shots. Or, you know, was it really just nine points? Because the timeliness of those shots, it feels bigger. It sticks out in your mind more. And in addition to, you know, Mike hitting those free throws at the end of the game, it was his had like a nice little sort of running hook shot that ended Tennessee's eleven zero run and got Carolina like kind of back into it. It was eleven zero, and then he scored, and then it was like you know back and forth from there, and then obviously Carolina wins. I'm not saying that was like the most important basket of the game, but like. I can remember all of his baskets, and I think that was the last shot that he actually made from the field, and it was a significant one. And the timeliness of those shots, that's what you need from your leaders. And again, A.J. Lawson, he played 33 minutes. He didn't score that much. He turned the ball over. He didn't have any assists, but I still thought he played well. I thought he played pretty good defense, and he looked engaged, and that's reflected in the fact that he played the second most minutes of anyone for Carolina. Yeah, and the fact that he was on the court at the time that he needed to go on that and make that shot, so... Yeah, you you like AJ being aggressive. You like him being engaged, which has been his biggest challenge as a sophomore. Um, we'll be very interested to see how he responds and how he plays against a very good Mississippi State team. But what you've seen from AJ, Sands maybe one or two halves over the course of the last you know month and a half, mm-hmm. has to be encouraging for you. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss sticks out. Other than that, it's yeah. been all good. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Another guy that I thought had a really good game. Similarly, he just kind of had a stretch where he took over, had a lot of impact, and that was Trey Hannibal, especially towards the end of the first half. He had this one, he had a sequence, I wrote it down here, where he had a steal, and he missed the layup, but he was going hard enough that he had drawn two guys to like try to defend his layup and set Wilden Zavek up for an easy putback and an and one, and then got a big rebound on the other side and then had his legs taken out from underneath him and got fouled. And it was, I don't remember what the score was at that point. I think. I don't remember what the score was at that point, but it felt significant, and he just 
He does what he does, and his efficiency comes, and it goes, and it ebbs, and it flows. He was pretty efficient on Saturday, 3 of 6, 8 points, had a couple assists, uh, did have a steal, a rebound, did a little bit of everything, but just more than anything, goes out there and just kind of plays disruptor. I, I don't know how many minutes they shared the floor this year. I can't imagine it was a ton, but whether it's in the SEC tournament, possibly NCAA tournament, but definitely next year, I really just want to see... Trey Hannibal and Justin Maniah share more minutes on the floor because those two guys, as you know, not quite bookends, but almost bookends defensively, it's that's so just a menace. It's going to be so much fun to watch. I Especially if you put McCreary in there. You just got a bunch oh. of versatile guys. Jermaine Kusnar, too. Yeah. Could you imagine? That's going to be brutal. Could you imagine a 1 3 1 with that? Mm. Trey Hannibal at the top of a 1 3 1, Maniah in the middle, Levesque on one side, and Brian no, you put Levesque at the bottom. Of the one through one, Manaya right in the oh, middle. Oh, I was thinking McCreary. Manaya right in the middle, and then Kusnard and Bryant. Oh my gosh! Or 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 Bryant and McCreary and go oh. super big. McCreary, man, I hate that he got hurt. He's a baller. He's he's good. He's already good, and he's just going to get better. And his defensive versatility is awesome. Let's he's, see. He had did he uh, just the one block? I I, I remember the one block because it was notable. I thought he had another one in there. And he got hurt on that block. Yeah. When he absolutely... Crashed into the cameraman. Yeah, but he, he swatted that ball into next week. Yeah. And then he went down, and that was like seven minutes to go in the half. And he yeah. played the rest of the half and then came out, which was yeah. interesting to me. Well, your adrenaline's pumping so much that I think it's one of those things where it happens and you don't really realize what happens, and then all of a sudden you sit down and right. you're like, holy crap. That's not right. But that makes me hopeful that it's not significant. Because yeah. it's not like he was out and they had to like, he's like, oh, I don't know where I am. Got it. Like, you know, good concussion, uh, good that he's in concussion protocol. Got to go through all that stuff. But it, the fact that he was able to play the rest of the half and he wasn't like bleeding out of his eyeballs or anything, I feel like yeah. it's generally a good sign. Now, has the team, we're recording this, we're recording this late today, actually, uh, 5.06 now on Tuesday afternoon. Has the team already left for Starkville? I think they practiced late on Tuesdays. Okay, so, so they haven't they, left yet. I don't think they've left. Is Frank is there was, a word on whether or not McCreary will make the trip? We haven't heard. Okay. They usually kind of keep that in house until day of. Um, Frank didn't seem optimistic in his Monday. Then again, it's his Monday press conference, and he hadn't really seen Jalen yet. So there's been by the time they play on Wednesday, they will have had two full days to kind of let him recover from it. So, um, eesh, doesn't sound great though. It does not sound great, but especially when you're already down a four. Yeah. Weirder things have happened, but Frank Martin didn't sound optimistic when he said it. Um, did mention that Sunday was very rough for him and Monday he felt a lot better. He still wasn't feeling great, but he felt better, a lot better than what he did Sunday. So, um, that's optimistic, but in just the overall totality of the tone, less so. We'll get into the matchup specifically and why that is particularly tough for Carolina. Not that you want, not that you want someone to get injured, but if I told you that a Carolina player was going to get hurt against Tennessee and was going to miss the Mississippi State game, and I gave you Jalen McCreary or Trey Hannibal or Jerry Bolden, probably take one of the guards. Just given the matchup, we'll talk about that in just a minute. <laughs> oh yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah, 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 a little bit, a, a lot of it. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jerry Bolden, another guy that we mentioned, nice scoring contribution, eight points, three of eight, two of five from three-point land, uh, three rebounds, one assist. The one assist was like really flashy, though. He was like dribbling in for a two, 
and then through this he like almost wrapped his like wrap it's like a wrap around past but like around himself mm-hmm. which was kind of cool so nice he's job and that, yeah. that seems that seems about right he's he's probably going to go three of eight and score eight points every game for the rest of the season and that's kind of what Carolina needs out of him yeah that's what you need from your sixth guy I guess he's your sixth guy that rotates yeah, every game but 21 like minutes yeah that's what you need from your sixth guy go in there hit a couple big threes play good defense kind of give them the consistency you need to get and go from there McCurry we talked about a little bit eight points four rebounds in the first half four or five from the floor oh of two from the free throw line Energy, defense, nice putback. He had the the one, I guess it was, I think it was his first bucket, where he just found himself wide open in the lane. I don't know if they just thought he wasn't going to take it to the hoop. Yeah, he was like, like oh. I, I will take this to the hoop yeah. now. And he just seems to be in the right spot at the right time, where it's just, it's taken him a while to get his feet under him. But now that you've seen that, you're kind of seeing what amounts to be what could be a very good basketball player in the future. I try to be careful about not confusing correlation and causation. But the haircut. Significant? Yeah. Gotta be. I mean, the timing is uncanny. Gotta rep- cut right before the Kentucky game. And yeah. since the Kentucky game, they are a... I'm doing math here. Since the Kentucky game, they are 9-2. and 9-2 and two since the Kentucky game. And then here's what Jalen McCreary has done since the Kentucky game. Uh, Six points, two rebounds against Texas A&M in just 13 minutes against Auburn. Four points, four rebounds, two assists, two steals in 14 minutes. 14 minutes against Vanderbilt, had an 11-5. and five. Against Arkansas, played 13 minutes, six points, three rebounds. Against Missouri, recorded no stats in six minutes. Against Ole Miss, no points, two rebounds in 14 minutes. A&M, five points, Five rebounds, two blocks in I can 18 just minutes. Give me the averages. Huh? I have the averages right here. Okay. If you want to yeah, do that. Well, I'm, I'm already almost done now. Do you want to do the almost done? Okay. I'll Georgia, let you have that. Eight, five, two, a block and a steal. And then against Tennessee, eight and four. For those of you that can't do math off the top of your head and create averages and, and summations based I off can't that, either. I was just. Moving. He's averaging 5.4 points. Uh, less than a turnover per game, about half a block per game, a third of a steal per game, a half an assist. 3.3 rebounds, 1.4 rebounds on the offensive end. He is shooting, he's averaging 14 minutes, uh, shooting 64.7% from the field and 50% from the line. So five and three in 14 minutes? Yeah. So he's a 10, he's a 10 six guy already? Yeah. And probably more than that because you see these flashes and, and stretches and not that he like totally disappears, but they're, and it's not even an engagement issue with him because he's very engaged, but it's like, there will be a two or three minute sequence where he he's doing everything right, and then there's another sequence where it's like, ah, uh, you weren't supposed to be there. Yeah, and and that's you know part of the learning curve, part of him being a freshman, but it feels like he's putting it together still pretty quickly. It, yeah, it really stinks that he's probably going to miss this Mississippi State game again because they're going to need him specifically for this matchup. And you, with a guy like that who's playing well, and as I went through the stat line, you know, like he did have a couple like kind of nothing burger type games where he was just playing six minutes or whatever because he's young and Carolina's deep. But when you're playing well, you want to keep that momentum going. And I don't think missing one game necessarily kills that for him, but especially if you're looking for more minutes at the four, if Manaya can't come back, if Frank is giving you a, a real nothing burger five-minute yeah. performance like he did on Saturday, McCreary 
McCreary probably would have played a season high, and he definitely would have played a season high in minutes on Saturday if he hadn't gotten hurt. He played 15 minutes in the first half. Yeah, and you hate it for the kid because you never want to see a guy who's 18, 19 years old go through injury. But, yeah, you hate it for South Carolina because if he can't go, then you're down your probably your two starting fours um, and will likely need to have a guy – I can't Trey remember. Anderson. Yeah, yeah, Trey Anderson. Frank loves talking about Trey Anderson and he, not playing Trey he Anderson. Lo- about to say, he loves talking about needing to play Trey Anderson more and then subsequently not playing Trey Anderson. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it's and a weird game. And that's not a slight on Trey Anderson because he's got some tools there. But I think in this game, especially, whew, especially in this game, you're going to need as much help from the bigs as you can get. Um, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but you're gonna need big impacts from a Wildenslebeck, from a you know Alonzo Frank, and you know what you're getting from Mike. But if you can get Frank and Levesque going, it's got to be huge because you don't have anything else after that. One more thing for me from this Tennessee game, and then of course if you want to add anything that we didn't get to, I'm just <sighs> it's complicated. Like that movie that I haven't seen, but I'm aware of its existence and can use it like that. Keyshawn Bryant did have his impact moments, which is nice. Big players, blah, blah, blah. He did some stuff when he needed to, but he also you know, gave Tennessee that extra possession when he stole the pass, good job, and then promptly turned it right back over. Yes. I'm just going to go ahead. Maybe this is a little bit of a reverse jinx, but I'm going to go ahead and just give up on Keyshawn Bryant's sophomore year. Will you hold that against me? I will not. I okay. will disagree with you, but okay. I right. won't hold it against you. I understand where the frustration comes from, especially if you're a South Carolina fan. And I'm sure Keyshawn is more frustrated than I am about it because, yeah. you know, he just wants to get in there and play consistently. But he just, like, more than, it's not like he's playing 31 minutes a game and some nights he scores 16 and shoots really well and other nights his shot's not falling and he can't get to the rim, so he's, you know, one of seven and he only finishes with three points or whatever. But just his minute load has been wildly inconsistent. Yeah. And, and that's reflective of just his inability to to engage on both sides of the ball, I think. Yeah, and I think that it was weird at the end of the first half. He got called for a foul, his third, and he he started to like talk to the ref about it, and Frank wasn't having it. Frank might have disagreed with the foul call or whatever, but Frank was, when Keyshawn was trying to lobby for him, Frank was like about to yank him out of the game. He was like vigorously pointing at the bench. It didn't start Keyshawn in the second half after that. And with Keyshawn, it's just about being engaged and being comfortable in your game. And right now, it just doesn't seem like that. It seems like he's pressing a little too much and, and getting wrapped up in the moment. And if he can kind of avoid that, he usually pre- plays pretty well. He needs. He's a guy that, kind of like Kotar was, and I, I, I'm not comparing the mental states. I'm not comparing anything like that. He needs stuff to go right for him early mm-hmm. to really get into a flow. And when that happens, then... Um, good things usually tend to follow. To start SEC play, that was his sixth game of the season. Keyshawn Bryant played 35 minutes against Florida, scored 14 points on 5 of 10 shooting, added 4 rebounds, 3 assists. He did turn the ball over a lot that game, 4 turnovers. Since then, he has not played, that was 35 minutes. Since then, he has not played more than 24 minutes in a game, including 3 against A&M. He got hurt, 11 against Missouri, 13 against A&M, and 19 against Tennessee. 17 against Arkansas. Yeah. And I think he's still battling some of that swollen knee that he had against Missouri. Um, 
but you need more from him. If he's out on the court, you're going to need more from him, especially with Manaya out, and you haven't gotten that yet. So you're holding on hope. I'm just going to go ahead and give up on him. Maybe a little bit of, rever- of a reverse jinx. But yeah, it's see, like, been... but that's one of those things where, like, if you give up on him, it's kind of like when you're waiting for your food or something, and you're mm-hmm. like, "Well, I got to go to the bathroom. So I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. and yeah. then your food comes." Kind yeah, of thing. That's the best. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing I feel like you're going. Keyshawn Bryant is the food, and you and you are. The this is me going to the. Ba- I'm going to the and... bathroom on Keyshawn Bryant. Well, that's. Oh, oh, that's, all the, that that's all the reverse I'm just being very, I'm being very Danish about it. Yes. I'm removing all of my expectations. But I mean, because frankly, there's no reason, there's no way to expect anything based on what we've seen this year other than inconsistency. But he is going to have to be big going forward for South Carolina to, to reach heights. They beat Tennessee. Tennessee's a good team. Tennessee's not Kentucky or Auburn or LSU or Florida or whatever team Carolina might see in the NCAA tournament, they were able to get away with it and, and get away with, you know, frankly, a couple guys not having super-duper games. But especially if McCreary's going to miss time and Carolina's got to play a little bit smaller, it's going to have to be Keyshawn. I, you and I thought it was going to be Keyshawn after I went down, you know, picking up some of the slack rebounding, and he did grab four boards on Saturday, yeah. did his work on that end of the court. And it, I love watching him rebound, too. He's one of my favorite people to watch rebound. He's so much fun to watch. Yeah. But his ball needs to go in the hoop. Yeah, but like Mike Kozar got eight rebounds, and I remember zero of them. And Keyshawn Bryant got four rebounds, and I remember all of them. Yeah, it's I mean, like Trey he's Hannibal. Just, he's just wiry and yeah. athletic, and it's and he he doesn't have the ball when he gets it like mellow. I like it. I like yeah. Keyshawn. I want him to do he's well. A good kid and Carolina, yeah. Carolina needs him. But yeah, the, the engagement and sort of the it's not emotional detachment, but he has seemed more emotionally volatile this year. I mean, that's yeah. why he got benched in the second half against was it Arkansas? Yes. Basically, just because he had a bad attitude or something. I don't know if yep. we ever got the full story on that, but it was just, it was very strange. And I don't remember seeing much of that from him last year. Not really. And I think that, I mean, honestly, it might be just him putting a little bit more pressure on himself. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. And knowing that he's not living up to what he's putting on himself. And when you do that, you tend to a little bit more outbursts. And that's kind of it. Yeah. Wilden's back three points. Two rebounds, both offensive. That's kind of cool. A steal, four fouls, and eight minutes. Man, you can tell he watched a lot of Chris Silva. Yeah, up. he's very Chris Silva-esque. Very Chris Silva-esque. Not with, without the freakish athleticism. Yeah. You marry, you like take some of McCreary's athleticism and give it to Levesque. He's, yeah, he fouls a lot. He's just one of those where like he doesn't know what he's doing all the time, but he's still a pretty damn good basketball player. The tools are there. So now, if he just doesn't foul, you're probably in a good spot with him. Yeah, and Chris Silva has shown that even if you do foul an absolutely ridiculous amount, you can still be a really good basketball player. Yep. So it'd be great if he could stop fouling, but he doesn't need to do that. And Carolina's going to need a lot of them, especially against Mississippi State, especially with Jalen McCurry being out. And I'm worried that he's not going to be ready for it and that it's going to be asking too much of a freshman, a guy that's definitely more comfortable playing 12-ish minutes a game. Realistically, Carolina's probably going to need 24, 25 good minutes out of Levesque tomorrow on Wednesday. I don't know if they're going to be able to get it, um, but that's kind of creeping into our Mississippi State preview. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on from the Tennessee game? No, I'm good. Exciting game. Good win for them. Great win. Love the poetic symmetry of Fulkerson committing the charge, turning the ball over, giving it back to Carolina. 
25 and 9. I mean, come on. 9 of 14 from the free throw line, 8 of 12. He had an awesome game. Who else played well? I still like watching Santiago Vescovi. There was one play that stands out in my mind where they had a transition opportunity, huh? He's so haphazard. I know. It's It's so much fun to watch. Yeah, they were in transition, and he was running down the court. I guess he's I guess he's a righty. I didn't even notice. But he's dribbling. Or he's dribbling with his right hand. There's someone to his left. I don't even remember the result of this play. All I remember is dribbling. There's someone like right on his left. And rather than sort of like pitching it underhanded with his right or switching to his left and just like, you know, passing it like that or just, you know, like throw a bounce, you know, bounce pass in front of the dude. He like, he does kind of what I was talking about Jair earlier where he like wraps his arm around him and it, Actually, I think it was a behind-the-back. I was going over my head, not that y'all could see. But just throws like a right-handed behind-the-back pass to the dude that's running in front of him and to his left. And I'm like, that's so cool. You didn't need to do that. That was probably a bad idea, but it was awesome, and I appreciate it. He finished with seven points, four rebounds, five assists, three steals, four turnovers. It's kind of what he's done all year. Yeah, he's like if you boiled Chris Silva down into a guard. Where you're <laughs> yeah. like, all right, we see yeah. the talent here, but holy hell, dude. Yeah, and turn the fouls into turnovers, although yeah. he did have four fouls in this game too. But yeah. It's so much fun to watch. I like watching the Tennessee team. I like watching him. I like watching Eve Pons. He had a huge swat, I think, in the first half. Oh, man. I I like watching the Tennessee team. If Carolina doesn't make the tournament and I have to watch a lot of an SEC team, I like watching them more than most SEC teams. Auburn's kind of cool. Yeah, Auburn's fun to watch. Especially when they're on. But I like watching Tennessee more than I like watching Kentucky, more than I like watching LSU, more than I like watching Florida. I like this Tennessee team. It's fun. It's a fun team. It'll be very fun to watch in the NIT. Welcome to Volcast, yeah. our basketball podcast for all things Tennessee. They do. Aside here, they do one of the dumbest things, and I know Tennessee Twitter is going to get really, really mad at yeah. this. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of welcoming it. They played last year. Um, they didn't do it this year at, at Thompson Bowling, but they did a. They played this song called "I'm a Vol Fan." But it's set to the tune of Soul Man. <laughs> oh, no. And it's, it, they, they don't even, like, dub any of the regular oh. lyrics. So, like, they still do every, like, regular, like, comment to Yana Dusterogula. But instead of I'm a Soul Man, it's I'm a Vol fan. Oh, it's so bad. I'm getting a lot of secondhand embarrassment right One now. One of, like, the, uh, like, I remember sitting there going, what the hell am I listening to? And it, pl- I mean, they played the entire song. Oh wow! It's not just like a, it's not just a little chant they do. No, they no, do no, 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 no. It's a song. It's on YouTube. Oh yeah, Cringe City. That's oh, it's bad. It was right, bad. Well, good thing we're not doing a ball basketball podcast. Ball cast. Ball cast. I'm a ball fan. Yeah, I'm a ball. not great. Carolina has vanquished the Volunteers. They don't have to see Tennessee again for at least a couple weeks. Might see them in the in the tournament. But both games have been exciting for different reasons. The first game was what fifty six to fifty five. Yeah. So not a huge difference in terms of like the total scoring output, but this no. game felt a lot better than the first game, which was a true rock fight. Even though this was what was it two to two at the first, first time out? media timeout? Yeah. Yeah. Two. <laughs> that if you had told me that two weeks ago, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Even how good South Carolina was playing offensively. Ugh. Just felt like that kind of game, and it was. And Carolina prevailed, and they jumped up two spots in the net, Ugh. and Tennessee jumped also up two jumped spots up. in the net. And so, as Frank Martin put it, a win and a loss have equal value, and that's hilarious. Efficiently, and enough. a good point and ridiculous, and obviously had more to do with the teams that Carolina played and the teams that Tennessee played, and blah blah blah, and all these things. But that's a very, very nice boiled down example of like, wait a second, 
This is wrong. This is the metric we're really going to use. Ugh. This is the metric. Yeah. I have a serious gripe with you. Not with you. I have a serious gripe. Most people have serious like. gripes with me, but. I have a serious gripe that I would like to discuss with you. I found out recently. I knew this, but I didn't know what it was. I was like, I think that's an acronym, but I can't remember. And it is. And it stands for. You know this. I'm just for anyone that's listening that doesn't. Know I don't this. know what the net stands for. Oh, you don't? I don't. Okay, cool. But did you know it was an acronym, or did you just assume? I would assume like a since it, I yeah. assume since it was in all caps. NCAA evaluation test. That's stupid. You cannot, or should not, and I can't think of another example. I was talking about this with my girlfriend, and she made you know kind of a compelling case, but I'm still not convinced, and I don't know which side of this you're going to fall on. You should not be able to put. An initialism or another acronym in inside an acro- of an acronym. Okay, that's what I was about to say. Like that's stupid because it's the now it's the National Collegiate Athletic Association's evaluation test. It should be the NCAAET, but you yeah. can't just have the N represent NCAA because that itself is an initialism. Yeah, that's stupid. It's so it's stupid. A, it's a the it's name perfect. is as stupid as the metric. We should we should have known as soon as they introduced it, and I, I guess I I don't know if I knew this when they introduced it or or whatever, but as soon as we found out, hey wait a second, one of the letters in this acronym, it actually stands for an initialism, because like what if the A, what if the first A in NCAA itself was, it, I guess in this case an initialism and initialism, and it stood for like. AAC and it was like the National Collegiate Athletes and Competitors Association and like the third A or the first A the third letter was AAC for like athletes and competitors because now you would have net NCAA evaluation test okay well let's unpack that other initialism NCAA National Collegiate Athletic Association yeah but then you have that you see what I mean like you're you're coming dangerously close to like being in some kind of like infinite fractal recursion of just like initialisms and acronyms and the meaning of all this is just like buried beneath so many layers it just becomes ridiculous it seems like a small thing it's not for me because i like language and i like semantics and also it's just another reason to say definitively net is stupid yeah it's i mean it's a metric that they're going to use and there are things that i don't hate about the net i hate most things about the net but there are other metrics you can use that are better than the net. And the net puts a lot of... South Carolina was able to come back from six points down in the final seven minutes and 30 seconds of the 725 of the game. And you only go up two spots because your efficiency numbers weren't great. And, the, and they weren't. No, give South so Tennessee took three fewer field goal attempts in the game. And so it was so, like better for them than for Carolina. So South Carolina... In terms of efficiency, South Carolina averaged 91 points per 100 possessions, which is not good. Um, they are currently averaging 104 points per 100 possessions on the year. So that was 13 points below their average mm-hmm. for the year. Um, they allowed 88.1 points per 100 possessions, which is five points fewer than what they've been allowed. So they're they're plus 10 for that game. Yeah, but because of that, well, they're plus technically three. Wait, you said 91 to 81? 88, sorry, 88. Oh, oh, I see, I see. 88. So it's really plus three. Um, 
in terms of just efficiency numbers, the 91.1 is one of their lowest offensive efficiencies. It's the lowest in a win this year. Yeah, I imagine Ole Miss was lower. Uh, Houston, Stetson, the other Tennessee game, <laughs> and Wichita State. Were there oh, really? The Not fourth. even Ole Miss. Wow. Ole Miss. I give you an idea of how bad that is. <laughs> Ole Miss was a couple points higher. Okay. Their only win in SEC play where they averaged fewer than 100 points per. They had two wins in SEC play where they averaged fewer than 100 points per 100 possessions. And that was A&M. In this Tennessee game? And Arkansas. Well, no, oh. three now. Arkansas, A&M, and I'm surprised game. it was that low against Arkansas. I think they, I think they shot like 39%, so like shot a little bit less, but they scored like 77 in that game, didn't they? Yeah, but they just had a, or 79. They had a shit ton of possessions. Yeah. So oh, yeah, true. that's what helps with that. But Yeah, just 50 shots felt like a – I don't know if that's the lowest in SEC play for Carolina, but it's got to be down there. It's close. Um, yeah. So, like – and that's what it was. And their defensive efficiency against Tennessee was – I mean, kind of middle of the road, near the near the top, but bottom half of the top half, if that makes sense. Bottom half of the top, so like yeah. six. So like, if your half six is out of like, or something. I mean, they've played what twenty yeah, four games, yeah. so it's like eighth. So like okay. bottom, not great. Middle, we call yeah. that the bottom of the top. Yeah, the middle. But it's like more towards the top than the middle, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if you were if you were to divide it into thirds, it's like it's, near the top of the middle third. Yeah. <laughs> How many different yeah. ways can we slice? So this thing? like, but the only times they've allowed fewer in SEC play, they allowed fewer against A and M. They allowed fewer against Missouri, Georgia, and those are your the three teams in SEC play. They've allowed fewer than eighty-eight point one points per possession. So. That's why the net is not so kind to South Carolina. Right. Now, because of that. Let's be fair and anticipate the net being good for South Carolina. This is kind of an unfortunate circumstance. And again, it's just, I think it's funny and circumstantial that Carolina and Tennessee both rose to and does express, I think, well, a problem with the net. But it's not like the end all be all. No. But and- by virtue of Carolina playing two, let's see, Mississippi State's top. 53rd, so yes, they're top 60. So yeah. that's quad one on the road. Yeah. Quad you have two, two quad one wins potential right. this week. But even just by virtue of playing Mississippi State twice and LSU, that's going to go up. Carolina's net's going to go up, even if they lose, unless they lose by like 160. Yeah. If they, if it's a competitive game, they lose by like five or whatever at Mississippi State, home against LSU, their net's going to go up even with a loss. So as much as Carolina fans are bemoaning that and it's right and it's kind of funny. And I just liked listening to Frank talk about it yesterday. Carolina is going to be on the other side of that, where they're just going to have their numbers boosted by virtue of playing good teams here down the stretch, which is really encouraging, given that they're already sixty-five today. I think. Yeah, last check today, they fell one spot after not playing last night. But another team. How dare they not play last night? I know, right? Well, outrageous. It's always this weird formula to where if a team has a really good offensive efficiency night, then they could bump up and. It's so fluid that until you play again, mm-hmm. you're probably going to fluctuate within two or three spots. Yeah. So, obviously, priority one, just win. Win the rest of those games. Six more of them. Very winnable games against Georgia and Vanderbilt. Hell, if you win your last six, you're in. For sure. Yeah. You can go four and two and still be in. You might need to four, win. Yeah, four and two with some help. Four and two. Get you in. Four and two and some help or win, like, a game, maybe two in the SEC tournament, and you're probably in sitting there at 21-22. Yeah, I guess if you go... If you go six and zero, oh, you're 
definitely getting a double buy. Yeah, if you You're go six twenty two and nine, if, if you go six and zero, oh, that puts you at twenty two and nineteen. Twenty two and nine. Twenty two and nine. I just saw the nine. Um, yeah. Twenty two and nine, and then what? Like fourteen? Yeah, fourteen and four in conference. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. But okay. Will that happen? No. It will. It will not happen. But but it. Also, oh, you want to get like, a good start? We'll, we'll get to Mississippi State. I'm looking at Ken Palm here. So they're projected to finish three and three down the stretch. Okay, with losses to at Mississippi State, LSU at home, and at Alabama. Yeah. But like all of it's close. Like the lowest percentage they have to win is Wednesday, thirty percent chance. Lower than LSU at home. I guess LSU, LSU has at home lost three of the last five. Is that right? LSU at home is a forty nine percent chance to win. Really? Yeah. Wait, is it three of the last five that they've lost? It's not great. They just lost right to now. Auburn. Right. That. Now, no shame in losing to Auburn. Yeah, they lost, yeah. sorry, they've lost three of their last four. They lost at Vanderbilt, at Auburn, beat Missouri by just four, and then lost to Alabama by six. Yeah. But, like, the Mississippi State one, because Mississippi State's pretty good at home, um, and we'll talk about them. But, like, that's the low. Alabama, you have a 29% chance, sorry. But all of it's close. Like, Ken Palm's predicting a six-point MSU win Wednesday. A one-point LSU win Saturday. A seven-point win against Georgia win next week. A six-point loss to Alabama. A one-point win over Mississippi State. And then a four-point win over Vanderbilt. Wow. All of it is so damn That would put Carolina at 19 and 12. Yes, 19 and 12, 11 and 7 in the SEC. 19 and 12, 11 and 7 in the SEC, and with a net probably above 60. Right or, around so, there. Sorry, below 60. They're probably like 59. Yeah, 59. Between, I would say between 60 and 75 would probably be that. Okay, all right. So, yeah. Hmm. They wouldn't drop much compared to what they are right now. Right. Especially if it's a one point loss to LSU, six point and loss to Mississippi. Yeah, State. and depending on who you lose to and beat. If, well, if this happens, yeah, you're probably, right. you know. You don't pick up a great win outside of Mississippi State down the stretch, but but four and two is not outside of the realm of possibility no, no, with no. with you, a win against one of Mississippi, Mississippi State, State on the LSU. road, Alabama on the road, or LSU at home. You have to win one of those three. Wait, no, that's not right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have win to, one of those yeah, three. Yeah, win one of those three. Yeah. Well, and the weird part is that this SEC schedule is kind of setting up the way we anticipated. Yeah, almost like, exactly two and three. And yeah, then four and one, and, and then, you split Tennessee. Yeah, and you split Tennessee. Well, what's funny? I I think I don't remember if I did this with you on the podcast headed into SEC player. If we just talked about it on my local show, but it was looking like Carolina had basically all the teams that they would want to play twice. Yeah, and we said you have to beat Vanderbilt twice. You have to beat Texas A and M twice, and then I think we said you have. Uh, I don't remember. I don't, basically, we said that you know splitting the Georgia games is important, and then you kind of just replaced that with. Splitting the Tennessee game and not, you know, splitting the Mississippi State game is now pretty important. Yeah. But it's shaping up pretty well for Carolina. Now, Justin and I getting hurt at the wrong time doesn't help. Jalen McCreary, you don't expect him to be out for long because it's concussion no, protocol. Concussion, if so. he misses the Mississippi State game, which it seems like he probably will, you wouldn't expect him to miss the LSU game. But things are still trending in the right direction for Carolina. Yeah. But that starts Wednesday night and they play Mississippi State, an opportunity to get back ahead of schedule. Because yeah. if they win that, then you're afforded one more loss that you shouldn't have. And, you know, you hate to think about it like that, but that's kind of how the season's gone. Yeah. You, get, you, get a, you get in front of the eight ball, you get behind the eight ball. I don't know if in front of the eight ball is an expression, but I was thinking the opposite of behind the eight ball. Now, 
we mentioned a couple of times that it's significant that Jalen McCreary is probably going to miss this game for Carolina because Mississippi State is ginormous. Oh, big. Like, they got some big ones. Like the biggest team in the SEC, right? They are the one of um, they are the seventh tallest team in the NCAA. Wow. Uh, tallest in the SEC. There you go. The next tallest is South Carolina. Yep. Nah. Yep. Is that including Justin Minaya's injured wrist? Maybe. Probably. Probably. Just like roster height. I don't yeah. Know. It's it's, a, it's an average height of everybody. Yeah. yeah. So, um, including Frank Martin. Yeah. <laughs> Mississippi State is seventh, and then South Carolina. Make sure I didn't miss anybody. I did not. South Carolina's twenty sixth, but they're okay. within. I mean, South Carolina's average height is like half an inch. So like, Mississippi State is seventy eight point seven inches, and South Carolina's average height is seventy eight point two. Okay, so Those. slim margins, but Carolina is down. Justin and I, who's what six nine, six. I think he's officially he, listed at six seven. So I was just six seven. He plays yeah. bigger than that at least. Yeah. And then Jalen, then Jalen's probably about the same size. I would. He's about six seven. Manaya's listed at six six. Yeah. Oh wow. What? McCreary at six seven. Frank at six seven. Levesque six eleven. Levesque does not look that much taller. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They're down two of those big guys now. Yeah. You're relying on Levesque, who's probably not ready to play twenty five minutes and be and give you like fourteen and eight on the road against one of the best biggest teams in the SEC and one of the best big men in the SEC and a guy that's a legitimate SEC player of the year candidate and Reggie Perry. And Alonzo Frank just played five minutes against Tennessee. Now, Alonzo Frank can be good. We've seen him be good. We've seen him be good recently. Yeah. He was good last year. He can be good if he can just stay on the floor, yeah. which has been a challenge for him. But this does not bode well for Carolina. They're an efficient, is Mississippi State, efficient offensive team. They hammer the offensive glass. You probably have the numbers in front of you. I do not. Carolina is a good offensive rebounding team. I would imagine that Mississippi State is a better offensive They're rebounding great team. Offensive rebounding Are they team. number one in the SEC offensive rebounding second team? Second in the SEC, uh, third, second in just when you take SEC only games. So just league games. But they're third in the country when you take the totality of the season in offensive rebound rate. Third. Of 353 teams. 353 teams. So that means there are only 350 teams in the country that are worse yeah, just just three hundred and fifty. No yeah. big deal. But they've maintained the same. So like, on the season, they're averaging a offensive rebound rate of thirty eight percent. In SEC play, that's only dropped to thirty five point eight percent. So that's pretty much on the same level. This is a, this is a good and, and big team. They block a lot of shots. They rebound the ball. They don't shoot the three well. They play good defense. They're so long that they disrupt a lot, and so. That's kind it's of a Spider-Man problem. meme game. Yeah, these are the. This is a very even matchup between these two, which is why I'm shocked that it's a 70 percent chance for for Mississippi State to win this. Right. Well, and you, I mean, you look at Mississippi State. They're so really far, good at home, and they're really home, good at home, and their home environment is pretty phenomenal from everything I've heard. They have five losses in conference play. Four of them are on the road, yeah. and I mean, none of them are. They're all good losses. You lose the SEC opener to Auburn at home. That's your one home loss. You lose on the road against Alabama significantly. Yeah. It's 90 to 69. Nice. Then you lose on the road against LSU by one. By point. one. You lost uh, by one to Oklahoma in that SEC Big 12 challenge. You lose on the road against Kentucky by eight. And then last week they lost by a boatload 
on the road against Ole Miss. Carolina found out a couple weeks ago how hard it can be to play there. And Brian Tyree, Good. fortunately for Carolina fans, upped his season high to the 40 against Yeah, this was not a Devin Cambridge or Andrew Nimhard game. This was... No, no, no. This is just him going off. But it was great because Carolina fans would surely bemoan the fact that, oh... Brian Tyree had his best game of the season against Carolina, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no, he actually did it the next either the next game or two games later against uh, against Mississippi no. State. It's now, it, now it's just Andrew Nimhard, Devin Cambridge, and John Fulkerson. <laughs> Devin Cambridge, man. <laughs> I hope that I remember his name for more than like two years. Yeah. And in fact, forever, because that was hilarious. The ultimate heat check guy. So, yeah, I mean, this is... Mississippi State's a good team, and they're not they're not blow you away defensively. So South Carolina will probably have some chances to score. Uh, they're really good offensively. Uh, the fourth best offensive efficiency numbers just in league games. Um, ninth best defensively. I mean, they're not great defensively. Uh, you're going to have some looks in the paint. They're not. They're allowing teams to shoot pretty at a pretty high clip there. Um, this is kind of a movable force meets or immovable object meets unstoppable force. If I'm saying that correctly, where it's like. Mm-hmm. A really, really, really good offensive team in Ole Miss or in Mississippi State, and a really, really, really good defensive team in South Carolina are just colliding, and whichever one of those, you know, comes out on top is probably the team that's going to win this basketball game. You wonder, and we talk about stylistic matchups a lot, maybe more than we should, because I don't know. That's it doesn't actually basketball. I mean, it's fun. I like talking about it, but like, it never happens. I'm like, ooh. You know, you have this advantage to like, what if Carolina like rolled out with this lineup, and what if they like played super small or played super big? And it's like, I mean, they they kind of do what they do. And Frank Martin does what he does. But when you're playing a team like this, and Carolina's identity is similar to Mississippi State's in that they're big and they're long, and they want offensive rebounds, play defense. They both have a lot of long arms, clog passing lanes, just be disruptive. I guess Mississippi State's blocking more shots right now than Carolina, but you know, point is Carolina would would want to go kind of big yeah and now they're down two bigs and you're playing a team that i mean maybe already plays big better than carolina or at least similarly and now you're down two guys so does it make sense to go small to either think so. to, to try to make mississippi state either match up for carolina or just run their bigs off the floor yeah i think so i mean you're gonna have to try to get reggie perry in some foul trouble who's damn good um and you're gonna have to hope Things go right for you. I think that you know you got to hope that you're hitting shots because Mississippi State doesn't allow many threes. I think Mississippi State's allowing uh, in league play teams are shooting twenty eight point twenty eight percent against them from three, fifty two percent from two though, which is good. But you're gonna have to knock down some outside shots, expand them, space them out a little bit, and then just put your head down and drive and hope that things go well for you because they block a lot of shots. They have Reggie Perry and I'm going to make sure I say his name right. Abdul Ado, who are both 6'10 or taller, kind of manning the middle. And this is very similar to South Carolina last year, where you had Mike Coates on Chris Silva kind of manning the paint mm-hmm. and some longer guards around him. So. Yeah, both their guards are 6'3, I think. 6'3 yeah, and 6'4. I, mean, I think Carter might be 6'4. Carter's 6'4. And Weatherspoon, 6'3. Weatherspoon, 6'2, officially listed. Okay. But you have a Robert Wooder who plays at the small forward spot at 6'7. DJ Stewart, who kind of splits time between the three and two and the three at six six, so this is a this is a long lineup, long long lineup. I think the Weatherspoon brothers normally have obviously Quindary's not there anymore, 
Is it Quindary or Nick that's had good games against Carolina, or is it both of them? I feel like Nick's not. I feel like Quind- not. it's always Quindary Weatherspoon. Was it? Okay. I, I couldn't remember. Always. I mean, so that's good. That's good that you're facing the uh, the other brother now, if you're Carolina. Yeah. He had well, he had 18 points last time he played South Carolina. That's something. That's something. He didn't play when they played in Starkville. Okay. Last year, but when they played in Columbia, that overtime game, he had 18 points. Mm. Then the year after, he had 10 points, 17 points. So he's had okay games. He's been around forever, both of those guys. I feel like we just blend the two Weatherspoon brothers together. Frank loves Q Weatherspoon. Yeah. Like, loves him. But not Nick. He hasn't mentioned Nick as much. (laughs) Hasn't mentioned Nick as much. It's funny. So yeah, Carolina. I mean, that's that's where they're going to have to win it, and those are those are solid guards, good guards, not the best guards in the league or anything like that. But this is a game where we said last week you get thirty five points a game out of your backcourt. They need that. Yeah, they need it out of AJ. They need it out of Jermaine. Space the floor out. Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a five out kind of game because you only have, I mean, you have three bigs you can play, but you're you're only gonna get you're not gonna get a good game out of Frank and Levesque and Coatsar. No, you're gonna get at most. I mean, you just hope to get a decent game out of either Frank or Levesque. This is a game that Mike's going to play 38 or 40 minutes. He's going to have to stay out of foul trouble, and it's going to be surround him with shooting. I, I would not be surprised to see a lot of Jermaine, Jair, AJ, Keyshawn, and Mike Yeah, just get shooting out there, go 16 to 30 again, no problem. <laughs> that seems like the recipe for Carolina because I, I just don't think they're going to be able to match big for big. Now, the other problem is when you go small like that, then – Mississippi State will just absolutely massacre you on the glass. And if they get 20 extra possessions, we've seen Carolina win a bunch of games like that this year. That seems like a pretty feasible outcome of yeah. tomorrow's game as well, I think. I don't know what to expect. Honest, really I mean, no honestly. Idea. Yeah. That's been most games this year. Yeah, I mean, this one in particular where you just, these are so, these are two teams that are evenly matched in completely different ways that, I mean, so I think South Carolina matches up well with them. They've done well against teams that like to go big, and they can kind of counter that with some speed on the perimeter. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've had enough size, though, that that they can take advantage of having their speedy guards and those guys that are good in transition without giving up too much size. Yeah. And now they're having to really just embrace small transition, and they're not really they're not really going to have the size to compete while keeping that on the floor. And Mike, who's been great all year at absolutely everything his rebounding numbers have been great he's been more aggressive on the glass he's still not like if you if you throw mike and reggie perry 10 50 50 balls reggie perry's probably gonna grab nine of them yeah he's really good yeah he's awesome he's averaging 18 and 10 yeah average i mean sec player of the year good that's but yeah i mean right now ken palm has him as the second Leading candidate to do it behind Mason Jones of Arkansas, who mm. scored, I want to say, 400 points against South Carolina. Yeah, roughly, roughly. Um, and I think Mississippi State has more talent around Reggie Perry than Arkansas has around Mason Jones. So, you want to talk about similarities between these teams, too, in terms of not knowing which way to go? Carolina this season, 13-10 and 10 against the spread. Mississippi State this season, 13-9-1 against the spread. They're good. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Uh, yeah I don't know. Big game know. for Carolina if they win, not Huge. devastating if they lose. No. And that's I, I, important I, I, to remember. And losing on the road hurts you less than losing at home in the net ranking. So if they lose a close one on the road, it will not impact you as much as... It'll probably go up still. Yeah, especially if you play a fish in basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that means there's 
very, very little room for error down the stretch. Do you have anyone that you want to reverse jinx? Oof. Oof. We can. You want to do that? I mean, not really, but... See, no, I feel like it's tradition at this okay. point. Let's, well, let's, yeah, let's... We, we forgot it a couple times. We're going to bring it back. We're going to bring it back. Return of the Mac. All right, three, two, one, then go. Three, two, one, then go, okay. but not saying go. All right. Three, two, one, Keyshawn, Keyshawn Bryant. Yep. Boom. I, I, I kind of, I did not Did you come back from the bathroom? Huh? Did you come back to <laughs> Exactly. You came back on the bathroom. I'm, I'm right. debating whether or not I need to cut that or not, but I yeah. think people will understand the context and hopefully not take it out of context and say that I was being rude or something because yeah. it was a metaphor. For, excuse me. It was a simile, folks. Keyshawn Bryant was like the food, the delicious food that you're waiting on at a restaurant. His dunks, his attacking the rim is like a big, delicious hamburger or a juicy yeah. steak or a nice carnitas taco. Yeah. Mm. Publico. Mm. We normally record this in the morning. It is now the evening. It's five forty-nine. He's talking about carnitas tacos. Man, making all these similes is making me hungry. So with that, we have rever- we have both reverse jinx Keyshawn Bryant. I don't know if an even number of reverse jinxes ca- cancels out the reverse jinx. We will find out tomorrow evening. Nine o'clock tip. A little bit of a bummer, although Carolina's been fortunate with tip times this year. They've had a lot of good ones. It's been really nice. They are at nine o'clock tomorrow, though, and you should watch it. And then tune into the podcast again Thursday to hear our thoughts on it and a preview of South Carolina and LSU. And you should also be sure to read everything from Colin Taylor on Gamecock Central. Follow him on Twitter at Colin Taylor. If you want to learn more about Mississippi State, he's got a good piece up on Gamecock Central right now doing that very thing. And, of course, he will have his instant analysis. He will have his what we learned and a whole bunch of stuff and baseball stuff. Carolina has two games this week and neither of them... We don't know. Might be played. Who knows? The Tuesday game was canceled. The Wednesday game, a little bit up in the air. And you're going to Starkville, Stark Vegas. I am. And you like it, right? I don't hate it. Yeah. It's probably one of my favorite ones Good. just because it's so college-y. Good. Well, then, uh, safe travels. We will plan to, I guess, reconvene late Thursday. So look for this podcast Thursday night or Friday morning. Thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. That really helps us. And we'll talk to you on Thursday. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.